Good morning. This is Talking Animals. My guest today is Carrie Bagnall, founder and executive director of Jungle Friends Primate Sanctuary, which provides a permanent home for more than 100 monkeys at its Gainesville, Gainesville facility that uh, were part of the exotic pet trade used in laboratory research or arrived there through other means. So the monkeys uh, housed there include uh, tamarins, spider monkeys, capuchins, squirrel monkeys, and more. We'll speak with Carrie presently. And uh, a bit later in the show, we uh, may hear a monkey song or two ourselves and then name that animal tune. We'll be giving away a pair of tickets to see Chick Corea and Bella Fleck at Ruth Eckert Hall, August 23rd. That's Friday coming very, uh, very quickly. It's too late to pop those tickets in the mail. So we do ask when we get to that that you uh, play if you're uh, able to pick up the tickets here at the station. Right now, though, let's talk monkeys with a reminder that we invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663 or emailing dj at wmnf.org. Let's welcome Carrie Bagnall to Talking Animals. Good morning, Carrie. <laughs> Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, thanks so much for joining us this morning. So here's, uh, here's the thing. I mean, the, you know, the stories of how people sort of wander into launching a sanctuary often um the last thing they had in mind at the time can can be illuminating and occasionally can be a, a cautionary tale so um i thought we might start in your case with uh, how you know you you recounting how jungle friends got started oh well it's kind of a funny story i was an interior designer and my boyfriend at the time bought a pet monkey i had talked him out of it for about a year then he found someone with a monkey a breeder bought a pet monkey, and she was destroying his brand-new home that I was decorating. So wow. uh, the, uh, the pet monkey shenanigans that uh, went on uh, kind of wore thin, and he decided he was going to sell the monkey, didn't want the monkey anymore. So I kept the monkey, got rid of the boyfriend, and uh, here we are. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, uh, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about how that uh, sort of wayward monkey, you know, launched. Because, again, I, I think that you know, one of the things that's sort of interesting about uh, you and, and how Jungle Friends came together is is there's there's probably countless people who have friends or loved ones or boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever who somehow ended up with a monkey, whether they should or shouldn't have, is a conversation we'll probably get into, but but never considered what they should do or why they shouldn't be pets or where those monkeys should go. So sort of talk a little bit about your, your, your path once uh, the, the first part of this that you've just described unfolded. Well, Samantha, who is my first monkey, yeah. and who is still here and will be uh, turning 21 December 18th. Wow. So she's, she's going strong, lives right behind my trailer here at Jungle Friends. <laughs> I see her every day. Nice. Um, I, I guess I've never really understood how... People, I also worked with abused and neglected children prior to working with monkeys. I was a CASA, a court-appointed special advocate, mm-hmm. and people threw away their children and they throw away their animals, and they throw away their pets. And I've never understood how anyone does that, ever. You know, I, yeah. and I, you know, the dog pooped on the carpet, so they take them to the pound. And it's, it's kind of an odd way our society lives, like these living, breathing creatures, whether they're your human uh, animals or um, non-human animals, where we're a throwaway society. And it's uh, shocking to me, and I'll never understand it, and didn't understand it then, and, you know, how he could just, you know, get rid of the monkey, and I would never do such a thing. In those days, there weren't a lot of options, and I looked around and called around, tried to figure out what to do, and watched a lot of Jane Goodall shows and said, oh, monkeys need to be with other monkeys. 
And so I just started with one monkey and then ended up building habitat, moving to Gainesville from the desert. I was in Las Vegas, Nevada, which was not a great climate for monkeys or people for that matter. <laughs> yeah, arguably for the people either. That's right. Right. So moved to Gainesville where it's nice, you know, hot, humid climate, which is what they're built for. And, you know, and I have these beautiful living habitats where I'm able to grow trees and bamboo and fun things so I can give them a home as close to nature as nature intended them to live, you know, as close as I can to what was natural. So um, so we packed up, loaded up our truck and we moved to Gainesville, got here on a plane. And, and Carrie, so so from Las Vegas, clearly you knew that wasn't the place, as you say, both for monkeys and arguably again for for humans. <laughs> but how did you how did you arrive at the decision to to relocate sort of all the way across the country to to Gainesville specifically? Well, actually, we were. I first wanted to go to Costa Rica was my first choice, <laughs> but that was not going to be possible. And so I wanted somewhere that was tropical. And then, so Florida came to mind. Mm-hmm. Then I was worried about the hurricane, so I wanted to be as as far away from the ocean as possible in Florida. So, and the vet school was here. Okay. And we had all volunteers from the University of Florida and the vet school and um, got acquainted with people. So it was actually uh, my mother's choice who co-founded jungle friends with me she was actually the one who decided on Gainesville and unfortunately she died of multiple myeloma cancer right before our move here wow yeah it was very sad but um she always said she would when she came back she was going to come back as one of the sanctuary dog. So every time we rescue another dog, I'm like, Mom, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I guess you'll be surprised at one point when she answers back, I guess, right? I, I'm yeah. waiting. <laughs> yeah. So, so Carrie, uh, that, that's really interesting about sort of geography and other factors that led there. Well, also, I guess I'm curious, to, to what extent did Samantha and, and, and her sister, I think, was early on in that picture. I mean, what? yeah, to what extent did those kind of monkeys dictate what sort of primates you, you would have there and sort of look after and, and rescue over time? I mean, was it sort of... I didn't know anything about monkeys until the ex-boyfriend bought a pet monkey. So I did not know anything about monkeys at all. So I would just take um, capuchins were really big as pets back then. And now, you know, it's happening again, unfortunately. But they were the ones who people would call, will you take my monkey? And so that is why uh, we have over 100 capuchins. And then different people would call, labs would call, and that's how we ended up with a lot of the squirrel monkeys from laboratory research. The marmosets were a lot of them. The marmosets and tamarins, about half of them are from laboratory research, and about half were pets. And then spider monkeys, we we have about 10 spider monkeys, 11 now, Amy, and um, they were also pets. Mm. So we decided on the New World monkeys, a um, lot of uh, my vet just suggested to, you know, not to take old world because of the different diseases and things that could transmit between the monkeys mm. and people, too. Yeah. So we, you know, tried to make it as, you know, so that the monkeys were could be come here and be with other monkeys of their own species was the most important thing to me was be, to be able to socialize them with others so that they could have friends and playmates and things like that. So that's the main reason sure. why we did that. And and for uh, people listening who, who may not be familiar and may find the phrase New World Monkeys either a bit esoteric or even a bit fanciful, at, at first blush at least, what, what does that really mean? Maybe you could give us a little more specifics about what New World Monkeys... Uh, you know, who, okay, what... well, New World is from um, Central and South America. An old world is Africa and Asia. So you've got the old world and the new world, and that's just where they happen to be from. Um, the new world monkeys are probably Mexico. There's some spider monkeys in Mexico. That's mm-hmm. probably the closest to us. And yeah. down south, south and Central America. And old world are old world, Africa, Asia. 
Right. So as you kind of That's alluded to, then that, that in terms of specific species, that would be capuchins, squirrel monkeys, spider monkeys, um, tamarins. Uh, what am I leaving Marmosets. out? Marmosets. Right. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and do you do you feel kind of with that in mind? I mean, it sounds like it was a very um, uh, conscientious decision about what sort of monkeys you would look after and, and, and help at, at Jungle Friends. But do you feel kind of that there's uh, certain kind of primates, primates that are that are comes to the sort of the rescue world or, or some of the, you know, media attention about some, some primates that, that, that some of those that, that you have are, are almost sort of, uh, I don't know, like second-class citizens, almost that there's sort of a hierarchy of, of captive primates. I mean, we hear and read all the time about chimps and what's going on with chimps, and, and obviously recently there's been a, some great news in the chimp world, so maybe right, that makes sense. But right. just generally, I think that's been true. Is that, what, what, is that your view as well? And Yeah, it is funny because the kids that I worked with in the CASA program were the kids who fell through the cracks. The ones that nobody knew about, nobody cared about, and you know those were the kids that I worked with. And now I'm working with monkeys, which are the other animals that fall through the cracks. Mm. I mean, we call we they're what we call sexy animals, which are chimpanzees and elephants and tigers and wolves. We call those are sexy animals. Everyone knows about them. They know what they are. They know what they look like. You say monkey, uh, and nobody really knows or yeah. rabbit. You know, there's a lot of animals that aren't considered sexy, so they don't get a lot of attention. And the the monkeys matter so much. Well, there's just in 2010, there were over 2,100,000 primates imported into the U.S. Now, 99% of them went to labs, but that doesn't even count all of the breeding facilities here, monkeys that were bred at labs and breeding facilities right here in the U.S. So there are thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of monkeys mm. that people just don't even know about that they aren't aware of. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, uh, as with many things that we talk about on the show, the problem is is much larger than you realize until you're kind of speaking to someone that's as steeped in it uh, as you are, and then you sort of right. Uh, we need have more to... monkey consciousness. <laughs> yeah, well, we're we're doing our small uh, small little bit here today, but uh, so this is talking animals. If you just tuned in, my guest is Carrie Bagnell, founder of Jungle Friends Primate Sanctuary. If you'd like to ask Carrie a question or offer a comment, please call eight one three two three nine nine six six three or email DJ at WMNF. Dot org. So at Jungle Friends, it sounded like from what you said before that, that this is probably at least part of the intention of, of going with the New World Monkeys. But to what extent do, do, do the species that are there maintain sort of separate but equal sta- status? For example, you know, are, are, uh, can, certain, can a tamarind play, let's say, with a spider monkey? Or, or do they need to be kept separate for one reason or another, especially maybe based on what their background was before they arrived at Jungle Friends? Well, the pet monkeys, we call them humanized monkeys. Uh-huh. So they're really different. They are not human, and they're not really wild animals. Mm-hmm. They're something in the middle. And, of course, we try, we, we introduce them to other monkeys, and it's almost like they finally, when they get here, once they meet another monkey, that they finally found someone they can really communicate with. Yeah. They found someone that understood their language. As much as I try to talk monkey, I'm sorry, I don't talk monkey. I try, and (laughs) I try to make the sounds and gestures, but monkeys really talk monkey. Sure. And they they know what to do for each other. They groom each other. They forage together. They play. Um, They roughhouse like humans wouldn't wouldn't do. Yeah. (laughs) And so it's... It's amazing to watch them turn into monkeys and to meet other monkeys and see that that's what keeps us going because we see a lot of really awful things here. Sure. But then we see the other side and watch them come out and, you know, be able to live as they were meant to live as close to. I mean, they needed, they should be in the wild, certainly. Right. But they're here and we do the best that we can. So that's one group of monkeys. Now, we do try to keep them with their same or like species because mm-hmm. they talk, because of their language. They have different vocalizations. They have different gestures. Even the different species of capuchins have different vocalizations and gestures but, you know, between the white-faced capuchin or the brown capuchin. They talk different. Mm-hmm. And we've had them together, but, um, and babies we've put together in groups, and then they still just kind of, you know, now we don't breed here. I want to, I said babies. We've had 
three births here from a roadside zoo, and we had two confiscated babies. So that's what I mean by babies. Right, right. We don't. We have all the males vasectomized. So anyway, but they do tend to um, go with their own species, and we try to make it as as close to how they would live in the wild. For example, tamarins and marmosets. They are. We have them pair-housed, male-female pair-housed. We've tried males together, and we've had some success and not had some success, and ultimately they've ended up with male-female pairs um, because in the wild they are, they're monogamous, and they live together in a male-female pair, with, and they'll have a small family group, but as the kids grow up, they kick them out. Hmm. So, right, so they're all pair-housed. Okay. You know, pairs. Um, which makes it kind of tricky because right now we have three lonely bachelors. And I was just going to say, what if yeah. there's a third wheel or two in that mix? Then what happens? Yeah. Then we wait for the next monkeys to come and they come and then other, you know, monkeys die of old age and then you've got, you know, other. So it's always the process of um, introducing new monkeys to, you know, other monkeys and monkeys coming and going and mostly coming. Sure. <laughs> And and speaking of that, Carrie, I mean, mm-hmm. what what at this point, what are the main sources for for the monkeys that do arrive there, and how how often um, do new ones uh, turn up there? Uh, well, we have a waiting list, and we've just brought in. Let's see. Well, we had a surprise monkey, Coda, just arrived um, the other day. Little little sweet little girl, fifteen year old brown capuchin with metabolic bone disease. Mm. And um, before that, we had three marmosets come from a lab, one capuchin come from a lab, a spider monkey come from Ohio as a pet. Uh, So we've had about, probably about a dozen in the last year arrive from pets and labs, different places. Uh, Right now, we have almost 200 monkeys on our waiting list in laboratory research. Now, so when you say on the waiting list, is that a uh, product strictly of capacity that you have to accommodate more monkeys? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, right now, we are pretty much at capacity. We are, right this minute, building two more habitats for two more monkeys that are getting out of laboratory research. But with their group, over the next two years, they're going to be closing that lab, and all of the monkeys will be gone. But there are 10 more that are there that will be getting out within the next two years. So we're going to be fundraising for them and building and trying, you know, working toward getting them out and getting them safely here. We have another seven monkeys that are at a different lab that are going to be ready for release um, the first of next year. So we've got a lot of work to do because we don't have enough land. There does happen to be uh, some property right next door for sale. Ah. that we're hoping to get, which would make it easy for both of these groups of capuchins to um, to move in right next door. So. Sure, yeah, I was going to ask if if I had the, the land to keep expanding, because it sounds like the monkeys keep coming. The monkeys keep coming, and uh, we need to expand. We're on a little over 12 acres right now, and like I said, we're about at capacity. Yeah. And um, so we do need to do some land purchasing, and just... Just for example, the seven um, monkeys that we're working on getting out of the lab the first of the year, Yeah. just for their habitats, there are two that are together. So we would need to build five habitats, which is about $35,000. Mm. And the land right next door is 150000 So we've got 185000 just in upfront costs. Wow. But the lifetime care, and we have the date of, dates of birth, birth for all of these monkeys and we figured them living about to about 40 with these figures in mind but we've had capuchins live over 50 here but the lifetime care cost is two hundred and thirty-five thousand one hundred and sixteen dollars. wow so, well that's highly precise and and obviously a significant <laughs> sum when you start multiplying it by all the uh all the monkeys that are uh, that are living there now, much less the right. ones that are yet to uh, yet to arrive. So I'm going to uh, put a, uh, take one of our callers, but let me while we're talking about that, just say that the website 
for Jungle Friends uh, Primate Sanctuary is simply junglefriends.org, and you can find out a lot more about what we're talking about here. But, of course, there's uh, ways to donate and otherwise help out. So it uh, sounds like there's, I'm guessing, always uh, always donations that are needed and welcome to uh, to, to, to cover all these uh, bills that uh, sound significant at times. So, okay, hi, you're on Talking Animals with Kerry Bogno. Uh, yes, um, I wanted to, I, I'm a donor to um, Jungle Friends, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about what it's like uh, from my end being uh, a, a really happy supporter for Carrie and everything she's doing. Sure, that'd be great, um, yeah. Yeah, I met Carrie a couple years ago at uh, an animal rights conference, and I bought um, a really awesome product that, uh, you know, she has the monkeys do called Monkey Art. She explained <laughs> that... Uh, you know, monkeys do this um, because they want to, you know, and uh, it, it's part of their fundraising thing. And ever since I bought that, I, I just started donating. Um, one of the things that really makes me happy about them is that they really kind of uh, emphasize being vegan on top of helping animals, which I'm really happy to see. Uh, um, I also keep up with them on Facebook, and they're constantly updating with videos and things so that you know what they're doing. Um, sponsoring a monkey is something that I've gotten into just since I've been a donor because it's really important and you can tell, you know. And uh, I, I, I donate to a few other charities, but I have to say Jungle Friends is my favorite, and I'm really happy with the things they're doing there and the way they treat their animals is just outstanding. And I really encourage anybody that, is curious about them to start donating to sponsor a monkey and help them out because, you know, as far as the way they treat animals, it's just top notch and everything else they're doing is really well. And I'm really happy and I really support anybody who's listening to support them as well. Well, that's, uh, that uh, I couldn't imagine a more sterling testimonial. Thank you very much for your call. I appreciate it. Wow. Thank you. Uh, so Carrie, so let's, let's sort of follow up on, on a few of the things that, that, um, that your uh, nice uh, uh, caller and, and uh, su- supporter um, mentioned. One is that I was going to ask you about anyways, but this is probably not as good a time as any. Um, talk a little bit about what he referred to sort of in passing, but still kind of the whole philosophy and lifestyle embraced by, by those who, who work for or, or volunteer at um, Jungle Friends. Well, the lifestyle here is we promote a vegan lifestyle, and um, we call our values ahimsa, which is dynamic harmlessness, and we just want to try to teach people that come here, and we have interns that come and live right on site, and people that volunteer, and we want to teach them about you know, encouraging their service to humanities and humanity, animals, and nature, you know, to everything and everyone, and to be kind to everyone around you, you know, a a more compassionate lifestyle. And we, we rescue animals. So certainly you should not eat them or harm them. And so anyone that comes here needs to adhere to our rules Mm -hmm. about that when they're living here. Now I can't control everyone when they leave the property, but while they're here, um, we promote the vegan lifestyle, and I'll tell you what, I have had a lot of people call me back years later and say, you know, since I was an intern there, I'm still vegan, or I'm teaching vegan cooking classes at my university now, or, you know, they're just, some turn into, you know, militant vegans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and then others just, you know... Um, uh, turn out a lot of vegans and vegetarians, I'll tell you that. <laughs> sure. Well, no, I think it, it, uh, it's really interesting because obviously a lot of sanctuaries of a lot of different kinds and, and therefore obviously a lot of different animals at those sanctuaries. But I, I, I don't know how many really sort of uh, promote this or, or, I mean, maybe even uh, require, at least in terms of the people that are living on premises, which, you know, I think makes a huge difference to to people, especially if they're interns, maybe they're at the university or sort of coming and going after a mm-hmm. fairly brief stint for one reason or another. I mean, just what that does to, to someone's thinking and, and sort of outlook, even if it's for a brief time, like you say, you don't know what's going to happen after they leave the grounds. But in many cases, um, those changes that they've made uh, st- remain in place. Yeah, they really do. And we have a program called Volunteers to Vegans, where people can come out in groups and come out and volunteer for the day, for like four hours uh, in the afternoon, then we've served them a vegan lunch. 
and then and then that way we they can see how really great the food is and how easy it is, and we can talk to them a little bit, you know, over a meal about um, you know eating a different way. So. We do try to promote that, and I do think more and more sanctuaries and animal rescue groups are going toward that. Yeah. Because I don't know how they can disconnect from, you know, I'm going to sit rescue this animal, but I'm going to eat that one and wear that one and, you know, have that one as a pet and how they do that. So I think more and more as everyone's consciousness is raising that we're seeing that that really doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah, well, no, and it is interesting. I mean, the disconnect, again, I think sometimes it's more pronounced sort of depending on what the animal sanctuary or rescue organization is. I mean, as you're saying this, I'm just thinking that a few years ago, I won't get into too much detail. Well, maybe I should even, but anyway, (laughs) right now I won't, let's just say. So, yeah, I was asked to kind of host a a, um, kind of fundraising luncheon um, fashion show type of thing and for a um i'll say it was dog oriented so i was shocked when they brought the started to bring the food out and it was like like roast beef or something of that kind and i thought really yeah what yeah so (laughs) doesn't make sense (laughs) right but anyways but like i you know that was luckily that was a few years ago and as you say i think there's those kind of gaps are closing more and more um where people just sort of realize that that's that's Talk about your cognitive dissonance, but um, <laughs> anyway, so, um, and also I think one thing too that's really um, uh, interesting because, uh, again, you know, Jungle Friends is is a real sanctuary, and one of the things we've talked about on the show over the years is uh, that's in contrast to uh, not real sanctuaries yeah. or sanctuaries that are, um, you know, pulling fast ones or just sort of not run by sort of major standards, and, and there are organizations that... Um, that sort of certify sanctuaries, examine how they run their operations. And so the, the caller, again, referred to how happy he is with the fundraising part of that. But another thing that you kind of alluded to, and sort of he did in a way, is that in real sort of first-tier animal sanctuaries, people, the, the public is generally not uh, invited to visit. Right. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how that works and why, and then the just occasional exception, like the thing you mentioned about where right. people could... Well, and we we call them pseudo-sanctuaries. Yeah. They take or or scamptuary, I think, comes out. up yeah. now and again. Yeah. <laughs> sell the monkey out the back door, bring yeah. him in the front. Um, one of the reasons that we don't, and it's on our website, why we don't have tours and have the public here, because this is the monkey's home, and we they really don't like people coming and gawking at them and staring at them, and wandering around in their home. Now, we do have volunteer programs, and the monkeys are used to people coming out. They don't mind them coming out and working for, <laughs> for them, building habitats. They're used to that, serving them their food. So we do have volunteer programs and intern programs to come out and work, but we don't have public tours or people just coming out to um, see. We're not a zoo. Right. And, and that's one of the things that I think separates uh Sanctuary. We call them true sanctuaries, and they're accredited by different um, organizations. We're a member of ASA and GFAS and NAPSA, which all these acronyms I know and probably don't have time to explain them all. Well, I can but, quickly say that we uh, we had Adam Roberts on the show again recently, and he we did talk about the Global uh, Federation of, okay. of Animal Sanctuaries. So, yeah, and again, just the way that those things are have to meet certain criteria to to uh, get that that sort of uh, certification, basically. Right, and more importantly, we're working together with other people. NAPSA is a group of primate sanctuaries where all the founders get together. We're getting together again next month and talk, and we help each other. And with GFAS too, we help each other. Or how you know, and try to learn from each other's mistakes. Because certainly, I've made my share, as we all have. Uh, so it's really nice to be long to organizations that really help you um, figure this all out. And then donors and supporters, volunteers can go to those places and find true sanctuaries, so they don't end up at a pseudo sanctuary. I get so many calls of people. Oh my God! I went to this place and it was terrible. And they told me pet monkeys make great pets. All I have to do is pull out their teeth and castrate them. And I'm like, Oh my God! You mm, know. Mm. And but it's illegal, and, and there isn't anything I can do. And I'm not the monkey police, but I tell them places to call and you know try to do something. But there's, it's legal to own animals, which I don't agree with yeah. anyway. Um, about ownership of anything, sure. um, living. So uh, that's a whole nother story. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> 
Right, the animalist property uh, debate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so so nothing. Another thing too, that because you did when we were talking about sort of the the population there, you mentioned the the babies, and we're sort of quick to you know hasten that mm-hmm. that they uh, don't breathe. I mean, that's another kind of hallmark of of a sort of first rank um, right. sanctuaries. There's no breeding, There's no breeding and or uh, selling. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. so it's not a commercial enterprise in that in right. that regard, which is why also, of course, they're five hundred one c threes, and they sort of rely on the, the kindness of, <laughs> of donors, right. basically, especially when there's new habitats and, and land to be purchased, et, et cetera. So let me just remind folks, uh, this is Talking Animals. If you, my guest is Carrie Bagnall, uh, founder of Jungle Friends Primate Sanctuary. If you'd like to ask uh, Carrie a, a question or just join the conversation in some way, offer a comment, observation, please call 813-239-9663, or you can email us at dj at wmnf.org. One of our uh, um, emailers, in fact, Carrie says, well, the subject line says, great guest, big exclamation mark. So that's nice. But um, was not aware of Jungle Friends. It sounds amazing. Thanks for the important work you are doing. Uh, besides capuchin monkeys, and I assume they mean probably others too. But one thing that they get to at the end of their question is, are capuchins vegetarians? No, they are not. <laughs> oh, interesting. We, we serve them a vegetarian diet, but if you come out, you will see them digging for worms and catching bugs. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So they they are not, but they're not they're not carnivores either. They mostly eat fruit. We serve them fruits and vegetables and rice and oatmeal and you know they've got a really wonderful diet. We serve them pretty much what we would eat. Sure. And then they catch bugs. Well, there you go. Sounds like <laughs> oh, a great great a great day. All right, let's take another one of our colors. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Carrie Bagnell from uh, Jungle Friends. Yes. Hello. I'd like to ask Carrie a question regarding people who import animals. And things like that. Has there been any uh, any headway on on restricting that as far as bringing in these all these animals that really belong where they are or were, and that sort of thing? And and is there any hope for any of these animals to get to, to get back to where they naturally came from? That's a huge question. Um, as far as them coming in, the regulations bringing them into the country, they're becoming more strict. More airlines are, are refusing to um, bring primates into the country, but then they've just built breeding facilities here. So I don't know that that's um, – I don't really – can't really talk a lot about that because I don't know that much. There are other organizations that keep better track of that. Uh, as far as getting them back to the wild. I had high hopes I was going to buy an island and I was going to let these monkeys go. And I've researched that and I've been to places. One place that I went to called our Born to be Wild project that I tried to do, I went to Panama three times talking yeah. to the Panamanian government, wanted these monkeys to come back and live there because some of the marmosets and the spider monkeys and the white-faced capuchins were indigenous to Panama. We talked to the authorities, went through everything. We found this beautiful place that the... Um, islands at the mouth of Lake Gatun, um, beautiful islands where they were releasing expats that were in Panamanian expats because they are illegal there. And it turned out they said, no, you cannot bring monkeys here. They did not understand how monkeys were legal in America. That baffled them, first of all, because they certainly weren't legal in Panama. They said, oh, we don't, you, know, you need to change your laws, not bring your monkeys to Panama. Fortune. Right. right. Now, here's what happened, though. Those beautiful islands where all those monkeys were living, you remember a few years back, the Panama Canal Authority decided to make the Panama Canal larger. So the monkeys had to go. Yes. Yep. So the monkeys yeah, had I to go. That. And I mean, I thank God now. I'm like, oh my God, what if they let me bring my monkeys there and they kick them off the islands? And oh. So there really isn't any wild. For them yes, to go then it, to. Then, as far as Africa is concerned, you have the bushmeat issue, and that's another thing. Which, oh gosh. Right. Well, anyway, I, yeah, thank, there's thank just you. we're humans are taking up all the space, and I, mean, I hate. But hum, we need to quit breeding. We need to quit breeding dogs, cats, monkeys, and humans for a while. Take a breath. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. That's probably not real popular. And so, Good 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 luck with your broad, your broad uh, spay neuter program, uh, Carrie. There you That's go. We uh, have a yeah. broad program. Yeah, here. for sure. Well, thank you, caller, for for uh, oh, calling. All right, well, thank you. 
thank you so much for your time, and I've been really enjoying listening to the show, and, and I just so, I mean, I, just my heart goes out to you. Thank you. And, and, and everything, and more power to you, Susan. <laughs> thanks. Thanks so much. So, so Carrie, another thing that, as we're talking about sort of, well, the comings and goings, again, as you said, uh, of monkeys, and you mentioned a number of are coming from, from labs. How mm-hmm. how does that work? Are our labs at this point? I guess probably directly contact you, but but is there any sort of reluctance or sort of pussyfooting around even of labs who have, have maybe completed whatever they experimentation or testing they were doing on those monkeys, and so they don't need them or want them there? But I'm just thinking of a parallel with like beagles. We had the uh, a show recently on the Beagle Freedom Project, and right. one of the huge barriers there—it's a little bit different because that's more about adopting into a home than going to a mm-hmm. sanctuary. But but that really uh, one of the key barriers there, at least, is that the the, the institutions, the labs, etc., just don't want any publicity. They don't want anybody to know what they do, which is the kind of thing that would happen if. And those, in that case, beagles came out and there was media mm-hmm. coverage of 40 beetles rescued from here or released from there. Is there any kind of those issues uh, swirling around? Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, every monkey that's here from a lab, I'm not allowed to say what lab they're from. Okay. And we have uh, six or eight different labs who have monkeys here, and we have three labs that are on our waiting list. That, And I thought it would be a good thing because typically they used to just kill them monkeys because they couldn't adopt them out like a dog. They always say, you know, the rats and the dogs, and if they would find homes for, but the monkeys, they would not. Mm. And so this was going back 13 years when I moved here and started learning more about the laboratory research, um, <laughs> what was going on. Yeah. And one of the big reluctance is that they will not donate toward their care or even toward building a habitat for them. That's the the biggest hurdle for me mm. is because when the lab calls you, and it's usually a technician or the vet or someone who works directly with the monkeys, it's not the university or the researcher that really doesn't see the monkeys. It is, And sometimes it is the researcher, but usually it's not. And they are just calling, I've had people call it, now if I can get the researcher to release the monkeys, could you take them? I wanted to find a home first before I started pitching this. And I, and I would ask them for money, and, and they just don't do it. And they say, well, you know, in the grant, the grant is for research, not for retirement. So that is one mm. thing that we're pushing for is to try to get people to start writing grants. You want to write a grant, then write for their retirement. Also put some money in for the monkeys. Uh, but I don't know if or when that will ever happen. But that's the biggest hurdle. And then you can't even say what lab it is because then their their concern is the animal rights people are going to come and right. you know, raise hell. Yeah. Raise hell, which yeah. there are some crazies out there that have caused me a lot of problems in other sanctuaries because they have just, you know, it's like the someone who's against abortion who kills the abortion doctor. Yeah. You know, we have the same thing going on. And, and they're, they're the extremists. between the typical animal rights person is compassionate and caring. Then you've got these crazy people on the extreme and on the edge, that they lump us all into that category, and they're afraid. And, Carrie, let me ask you this. I know you can't reveal, obviously, mm-hmm. the anything really about the, the labs specifically, but are some or even all of the labs institutions that, that at least in part get state funding? Um, I, I don't know how their funding works, but I'm sure that they do. Because I know that, that at least back to the Beagle thing, that, that one of the things mm-hmm. they've started to try to do is push for legislation that if those places do get state funding, i.e. taxpayer money, mm-hmm. that then they would be required, in that case at least, to you know be more willing to adopt out the Beagle. So I'm just wondering if there could be a comparable thing where... Right, uh, those, check yeah, and just say, NIH look, NIH is one of the big funders for well, the labs. Yeah, well, there you go. So you figure, yeah. hey, if they're getting state funds, then it's like, hey, then when they find a home at Jungle Friends or elsewhere, then you've got to cough up X amount of dollars, and that to me only only seems reasonable if uh, right. after, especially after the life those monkeys have uh, mm-hmm. endured yikes so uh, we're just sort of nearing the end of our time here let me try to take one more call okay and uh hi you're on talking animals with carrie bagnell yes um, my name is vicky i was wondering if she could quickly talk about the correct habitat for um monkeys and also the dangers of keeping care of monkeys 
Um, the reason why is because I, I had a friend who had two monkeys. One was in heat. I, I guess you call it heat. And um, he unlocked the cage to feed them one day and was attacked and uh, had his arm terribly damaged. So if she could address a little bit about what is proper habitat. Okay, well, the habitats, of course, that we have are the largest one is um, 30 feet wide by 60 feet long by 24 feet tall, and they're all connected. So if you need to go in when we go in and clean or repair, then we move the monkeys to another habitat so that we don't, and we have double entries. If there were a fight or there was an injured monkey, we could move the other ones out, go in to rescue a monkey, uh, if there was a fight or something happened, or someone got in trouble. But we usually don't have people getting harmed um, because of the way that we've set everything up. It's pretty safe, and we're, we lock everything and double-check and have double entries, and we move the monkeys out of the habitats before you go and before any people go in. But, of course, accidents can happen, so you always want to be careful and, you know, making sure that the monkeys aren't escaping because they are very dangerous. Um, we have most of the people who have pet monkeys uh, relinquish their pets because they've attacked them, their kids, their their wife or husband, their neighbors, or they escaped and well, caused trouble. Obviously, when you're keeping a monkey in a small cage that's like 8 feet tall by maybe 10 or 12 feet wide, I mean, oh to my. me, that equates with keeping them in jail, you know? Oh, yeah, that's horrible. Yeah, that's that, and they'll go crazy. I mean, they go, they're crazy enough in these large habitats, but you put, and I know people that keep their monkeys in bird cages, and oh. they wonder why they've gone nuts, you know, I mean, if wow. they, they go mad. Well, thank you, caller, for your call. We're sort of just at the end of our time here, but thank you very much for calling on Talking Animals. So, Carrie, yeah, we have just about reached the end of our time. I'm sorry we didn't get to some of our callers and emailers, but uh, we'll uh, hopefully speak again sometime soon. Okay. And so we've been speaking with Carrie Bagnall from Jungle Friends Primate Sanctuary. Again, the website is junglefriends.org. And as they're a nice uh, caller supporter mentioned, they have a very uh, cool, active Facebook page, just uh, Jungle Friends. I can search for that on uh, Facebook at Jungle Friends. So, Carrie, thanks for uh, joining us today on Talking Animals and all your uh, great work for all our monkey friends. Thank you for having me, and I hope you'll come out and visit sometime. Absolutely. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Duncan Strauss, this is Talking Animals. It's time now to step into the Talking Animals Comedy Corner. This is Tim Harmson with a brief piece called Seagull on today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals. I saw a seagull flying around in the sky. It was going around and around and around. I looked at it and I said, Seagull, you could be anywhere in the world right now. Why are you in the parking lot at J.C. Penney's? And then I thought, why am I in the parking lot at J.C. Penney's? And then I remembered Arnold Palmer casual wear. 50% off. You look like a jerk if you don't go. All right, that was Tim Harmston with a piece called Seagull, taken from his CD, The Most Bees Ever. Duncan Strauss, towards the end of the show, we'll play Name That Animal Tune. The winner will receive a pair of tickets to see Chick Corea. And Bella Fleck at Ruth Eckert Hall this Friday, the 23rd. So um, since that's only two days away, can't pop that in the mail. So if you do play uh, Name of the Animal Team, we ask that you be able to pick up the tickets here at the station. So we'll get to that in a moment or two here on Talk Animals. Right now, though, it's time for animal news and announcements. A story that has a particular relevance for some of us. The AP uh, is reporting that Tiny Mosquito all too often has man on the run, and this summer it seems even worse than usual. You uh, can't get from the car to inside our house without getting attacked. It's that bad, high school teacher Ryan Miller said from his home in Arlington, Virginia. Minutes earlier, he saw a mosquito circling his four-month-old daughter indoors. Experts say it's been a buggier-than-normal summer in many places around the U.S. because of a combination of drought, heavy rain, and heat. It may be worse 
in the southeast, which is getting hit with three years' worth of bugs in one summer, said Jonathan Day, who studies insects at the University of Florida. Two years of drought were followed by incredibly heavy rain this year. During dry spells, mosquito eggs often didn't get wet enough to hatch. This year's rain revived those along with the normal 2013 batch. Goes on to say, uh, in southwestern Florida, around Fort Myers, Lee County Mosquito Control is getting more than 300 calls per day from the residents at times this summer. A much higher count than usual, but the more impressive tally was the number of bugs landing on inspectors' unprotected legs, more than 100 a minute in some hot spots, said De- Deputy Director Shelley Radiman. Yikes. Come back to that in a sec. Just uh, one of the, you know, two, that animal-based charities thrift store has moved and they are having a grand reopening every day this week and of course uh, their thrift store helps fund the uh, various activities and events that uh, animal based charities does to help out uh, and rescue our animal friends so they are now at 4465 West Gandy Boulevard in Tampa and the store hours are Tuesday through Friday 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Saturday 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. so all kinds of stuff Holiday stuff, kitchen stuff, shoes, who knows what. So I just want to remind you that uh, Pinellas County Animal Services um, has been uh, offering reduced adoption fees uh, throughout August. And I can't tell you the specific price, but very, very reasonable. And that includes medical checkups, bay neuter, vaccinations, internal, external parasite control, heartworm testing, and uh, feline leukemia testing, plus microchipping. So... Check out uh, that at PinellasCounty.org slash Animal Services or call 727-582-2600. Uh, while we're on the uh, subject of cool local things, there's shots. There's a phrase I like to say in front of shots, but I can't because we're not allowed to. But let me just say again, very reasonably priced shots this, uh, this Saturday, August 24th. From 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., shots meaning for cats and dogs, of course, at uh, Northdale Park, which is at 15550 Spring Pine Drive in Tampa. There's also, uh, these are also available for community cats, meaning feral cats in traps. So, again, this is for uh, residents of Hillsborough County, but you can find out more by going to humanesocietytampa.org slash shot clinics or calling 813-367-2078. And I think the Animal Coalition of Tampa, Hillsborough County Animal Services, and the Humane Society of Tampa Bay have teamed up for uh, for that one. So I think that's all that we have time for today on the Animal News and Announcement front. So uh, I'm Duncan Stress. You are listening to Talking Animals, where the show website is TalkingAnimals.net. It's time to proceed to name that animal tune. This is a giveaway. You do not need to be a WNF member to win, and there'll be a prize tickets to see Chick Corea and Bella Flack at Rue Etherd Hall this Friday, the 23rd. So again, please only play if you are able to come by the station here to pick up the tickets that you would win if you were lucky enough to win. So, to the first person who calls in the correct title of this animal song, 813-239-9663. It's Name That Animal Tune on Talking Animals. try to take those off the air we have just about reached the end of today's edition of talking animals on wmnf tampa i'll be back wednesday next wednesday of course august 28th with another edition hope you'll join us for that also hope you'll visit our website at talkinganimals.net where there's uh, links to our facebook page twitter feed archives podcast the whole nine yards again talkinganimals.net i'm duncan stress thanks very much for listening all right what the heck let's take uh, let's take one of these here we'll take the first one hopefully that came in hi you're on talking animals can you name that animal tune uh i dig a pony that's close enough dig a pony yeah you threw in the extra eye there but you still qualify what is your first name sir uh, Bill. Bill. All right, Bill. I'm going to put you back on hold and get you uh, set up to go uh, go see uh, Chicory and Bella Fleck this Friday at Ruth Eckert. Awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. Okay, folks, we do have a winner. So uh, be kind to animals, be kind to others, be kind to yourself. We're closing out today's show with an animal song, a monkey tune, to sort of follow up on the cool monkey tunes that um, Randy played for the last half hour of his show. This is one that didn't come up. So why not me? 
why not I have a chance to play it? So this is Chuck Prophet with What Makes the Monkey Dance on WMNF Tampa Brandon Clearwater Largo Wikiwachi and Beyond. Thanks for listening. Speak to you again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. on Talking Animals. Thanks. Take care. the